You're listening to audio from Redemption Church of Houston. We are a people who believe that Jesus has invited everyone into his radically inclusive, world-altering way of love. That means that when we gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or in homes throughout the week, you are welcome here. Regardless of your social status, gender, race, sexual orientation, or politics, we want you to fully and actually join, grow, worship, and serve with us. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, Jesus invites you into his radical love just the way you are. And so do we. All right. Um, so, get this out of the way. Right, we read this really long passage from Leviticus. Lauren read this really long passage from Leviticus. We're going to get to that in a second. But I want to start with, we're in this series called The Quiet Life. We're talking about what does it mean to follow Jesus. We looked at these, like, really grand, I don't know, theological ideas, um, these core wells that we can come back to and drink from over and over and over again. And now we're answering the question, but wait, what do we actually do? What does it look like to live into this in 2022 in in Houston, Texas? Um, I want to come back to this idea that you and I were made for love, right? Of, Of all the things that I'm convinced of as a Christian, this is towards the top of that list, that you and every other human being like you was made for love. You were made to receive love, and you were made to give love. Communion is at the core of our programming. It's in our wiring. It's in our DNA. It is why you exist. It's for communion, for love, for relationship. Andy Crouch, um, he's like a Christian thinker. Um, he talks about three revolutions that have offered prosperity, so three revolutions that have like dramatically shifted things over the last 500 years. Um, the financial re- revolution, which was a move from like trade and the feudal system to money, which was really like ledger. Um, I won't get into it. Zach could probably do like a whole thing on it. Um, but like if you think about the way we spend money, you're not going and offering anything to anyone. You swipe a card and a ledger in one bank moves to a ledger in another bank, theoretically maybe, I don't know, hopefully actually. And that's just like how we just assume and we all agree and so we go about our lives. Whereas used to, there was like an agreement between you and someone who owned land or maybe you were the owner of the land and there was agreement between you and your serfs. And I'm not saying that was a healthy thing, but at the core of that was a relationship. Or maybe you were a shepherd and you wanted to trade some wool for some mead. <laughs> I don't know. But again, you had to like, there was something core about relationships. So there's this big financial revolution that changed the way that we live our lives. But then there was the industrial revolution, one that we're probably more familiar with, where we moved from land to labor, where we began to uh, leave the land and the farms and the rural uh, of the world, and we began to like culminate in cities and factories, and we had labor laws and unions and all that sort of stuff. But again, we moved away from relationship. We, we now exist in a place where our work determines where we live rather than people. We exist and pursue 
this, right, I know it's not quite industrial, but we exist and pursue jobs and careers in other parts of the world, even though it completely severs our relationship with the people we've grown up in, uh, with or the people that we love. And then the last one is sitting in your pockets right now, unless you're a real sinner, and then it's in your hand. Just kidding. He calls it the computational revolution. Um, and this isn't exactly right, but I liken it to the shift from analog to digital, from pen and paper to Kindles, from actual relationships to social media relationships, to actual costly activism to social media activism. And at the, the heart of all of these, these, these revolutions that occurred over the last 500 years, what came with this was like incredible prosperity. You know more, you have more than anyone else before you, even if you're right under the poverty line. There are, uh, I don't remember where this is, don't fact check me on this, but I'm pretty sure it's true, it sounds true, so it's gotta be true, right? Um, something like uh, an average two-year-old, and certainly this is true of my daughter, but like the average two-year-old has more photos of them than like the king of France did back in the 17th century or 18th century or whatever it was, right? Kings, okay? I think about that, like a, a toddler running around has more portraits of themselves than royalty, we have like an embarrassment of riches. We have an extreme amount of prosperity. We have the world at our fingertips and literally in our pockets. And yet over the last 60 years, we have grown more and more unhappy and more and more lonely. Like statistically, that's true. That's not just a general like pastoral like, yeah, I bet we're lonelier now. No, no, no. We are actually and really more lonely than we used to. Uh, used to be. Our prosperity has come at the cost of our humanity. If what it means for us to be human is that we are beings who are in communion with God and with one another, if what it means for us to be human is that we give and we receive love, our prosperity is costing us that. Right? And it's not our fault. It's not like you woke up and chose, hey, I'm going to live in these three revolutions today. We just exist in it. It's this current, this very strong stream that we uh, swim in and exist in, and it shapes us and forms us and molds us into what it wants us to be. So that the first thing that I tend to w think about when I wake up in the morning is, I wonder what's going on on Twitter. The first thing I reach for when I wake up in the morning is not my wife, it's my phone. It's not my Bible, it's Instagram. I don't need to hear from God first thing in the morning in the silence and in the quiet of the morning. I need to hear from right, social media or my news feed or whatever. Small little habits, small little patterns and routines, even unintentional ones, are shaping and forming our hearts and our affections. We're like stones at the bottom of a river that's rushing past us. And as that water rushes over us, whether we like it or not, it begins to smooth and shape us and turn us into something that it wants us to be. So my wife and I used to own a gym. I know you can definitely tell, right? <laughs> that dude owned a gym, that's for sure. <laughs> 
And whenever we'd ask anyone, like, you know, they would come into the gym, like, we've all probably done this at some point in our life. You walk into a gym and you're like, hey, I want to join the gym. Like, why do you want to join the gym? Because it's awesome. No, no one says that. They're like, I want to join the gym because I'm, I hope that I can lose some weight. And you get into some specifics. Well, cool, losing weight, but like, what's your actual goal? How much weight do you want to lose? And you would write in, I'm, I'm not judging, I'm just saying. Okay, you get these like outlandish, like, well, I've got a wedding in two weeks and I got to get it fit into my bridesmaid dress or spring break is in a month and I'm gonna lose 25 pounds. You're like, um, okay, first of all, biologically, it's unhealthy for you to lose that much weight that quickly. You'll be in danger. Let's not do that. But at the heart of that, there was this desire for a quick fix, a quick change. I want my life to be different and I want it to be different right now. I know I'll join a gym and you know the difference between the people that actually like lost weight and whose lives were changed and the people whose wasn't? It wasn't whether they joined the gym or not. It's whether they showed up. Right? So joining a gym is not enough. Change can only ever come through changed patterns, changed routines, changed habits, changed behavior. And so I want to ask you a question this morning. Who do you want to be? What do you want your life to look like? And then, because I'm a pastor and I have a microphone, I'm going to answer that question for you and tell you what your answer should be to that question. My goal, my dream, my prayer for each one of you is that you would become a follower of Jesus. Some of you in here, that's not where you're at, and that's totally cool. Genuinely, we're glad you're here, and we're happy that you're exploring that question, who Jesus is, what Jesus is all about, what his people are all about. We're excited. But for those of us that have been around church for a while and we're asking the question, hey, who do I want to be? What do I want my life to look like? I want us somehow to come back to this central answer of Jesus. I want to be a follower of Jesus. This is, after all, what Jesus invites us into. Whenever Jesus encounters anyone in the four gospels, he never says, hey, do you want to go to heaven? He says, do you want to come follow me? Our invitation is not, hey, I can give you a golden ticket so that when you die, everything will be great. The invitation is for life right here and right now. It's for discipleship. It's for following Jesus. It's for entering into a way of love introduced to us by the God of love. I don't know about y'all, but that's who I want to be. I want to be a person of love who lives a life of love. Well, how do I get there, right? How do I get from becoming the person who rolls over and wants to scroll Twitter, which I deleted last night? Was my wife's idea. It actually really was. Felt I was very. That's right. Yeah, eight dollars is too much. Yeah, my my twenty five followers are really gonna miss me. So this call to follow me, um, it's actually really interesting. Um, what's the guy's name? I'm looking for it on my sheet here. Um, yeah, I don't know. So this call to follow me, like, Jesus isn't making this up. This isn't like an invention where Jesus is like, I know, I've got a brand new idea. Come and follow me. And people are like, whoa, this is wild. No one's ever said anything like this before in the existence of humanity. This is like a really common rabbinic practice 
that if you were a disciple, if you were, right, a first century Jewish kid, you would grow up in this world of learning the Torah, memorizing it, and like the top of the class would move on to like the next level. And this is like uh, 12, 13, 14-year-olds would get bumped up into like this next section of learning where they would memorize the entire Old Testament. Right? Wrap your minds around that for a second. I love my Bible. I don't love my Bible like that. <laughs> and the, the top of that would study under this rabbi and like the best of the best of the best, the rabbi would turn to them and they would grill them, similar to like what you would experience like in a dissertation defense. What do you think about this? What do you believe about this? What does Rabbi Shemael think about this? And if they liked you, if your answers were good enough, if you showed enough promise at the end of that dissertation defense, that's not what they called it. Don't quote me on that. um, They would say, come, follow me. And you then, as a disciple of that rabbi, like the best of the best of the best of the best, would follow this rabbi around. This is what Jesus is doing when he turns to these fishers who had already dropped out of this system of education, he says, come follow me. Uh, so the guy's name is John Mark Comer. You may have heard of him. Um, he wrote some really helpful books on like spiritual formation and stuff like that. But he, he talks about this Jesus's invitation to what I'm going to call apprenticeship, because I think it's the, the clearest picture of what Jesus is inviting the disciples to do here. And he says that the goal of discipleship in the first century was threefold. Number one, to be with your rabbi. So when Jesus says, hey, come and follow me, that is an invitation to come and spend your life with me, be in my presence, be in proximity to me, be near me. Number two is to become like your rabbi that you spend time with your rabbi, not just to learn information about your rabbi, but to actually be formed and shaped into someone like your rabbi. Why would you want that, number three, so that you could do what your rabbi does, right? And in their world, it was your rabbi was a great teacher. You would aspire to become like them so that you too could be a great teacher. Although Jesus takes this and twists it and flips it on his head. And so his invitation of, hey, come and follow me and be with me and become like me so you can do what I do is an invitation to become and be a people of love, to spend time with a God of love so that we can become a people of love so that we can go out and live in the world as people of love. I got a lesson this week in modern day apprenticeship. So we um, have for a long time been trying to make better coffee. (laughs) Um, we got some broke down machines that are like a decade old and they've been duct taped together and it takes about 25 minutes for one pot. And finally we're like, enough, we're going to get some good coffee in here. And so we actually, if you know of it, we uh, called the folks at Greenway Coffee. Um, it's a local, like really, really high end, um, nice. They do great work. What's the word? Bespoke, right? <laughs> Handcrafted coffee. And so one, I, I wanted to work with someone local. Two, I wanted really good coffee. I feel like if we're going to do something uh, like this, let's make it matter. As long as it's not going to cost us an arm and a leg, it didn't. It was great. And so they came in, and I was so blown away by this because they came in and just spent like time like showing us, here's the machine, and here's what it's doing, and telling us stuff that I'm like, I don't care. I don't need to know all of this. Showing me all the settings that I will never see and any, no one will ever see. Um, but in this, he starts talking to me about, yeah, so a friend of mine works at a bar called Anvil, you've heard of Anvil. Anvil is like one of the top bars, not just in the United States, but like in the country, like in the country, not just the United States, but the country too. 
like one of, the, one of the top bars in the world, like people in New York and LA and Chicago, like if they know that you've apprenticed at Anvil, will hire you like in a hurry. And so he started telling me a little bit about this apprenticeship process. It was like several years that you would go in and be a bartender at Anvil and it was long hours and hard work and they take care of their people in like pretty surprising ways given uh, the way that that vocation tends to go where people are used and abused. They're working on like giving these people 401ks and $100,000 salaries, like, right, so lucrative stuff if you're a bartender. Anyways, that has nothing to do with this. It's like, this is a really intense training. Years and years and years of learning how to mix drinks and make drinks, and you're spending time with these expert bartenders so that you can achieve this level of expertise. This is what apprenticeship is. At the end of this, they do this thing called uh, the Anvil's 100. And the bartender sits behind the counter and 100 people line up and they order off of Anvil's 100 drinks list. And it's 100 drinks from like past centuries and places. Like there's no like just 100 crazy drinks that you've never heard of, like the zombie. And, And from memory, on the spot, Having heard, yeah, I want a zombie. The bartender has to go, great, coming up, we'll whip it up. They have to be that good at what they're doing. They don't get a cheat sheet. They don't get to look at anything. During this apprenticeship, they get a bunch of different um, liquids <laughs> lined up in front of them. And they have to taste them and know exactly what it is just by taste. Right? And some of us might be able to do that with some common stuff. But they get into just like some weird stuff that I've never even heard of. And they have to know what it is simply by taste. Like, so, so these are experts in their craft because they were shaped and formed for it. Many of you experience this in another way, and maybe you've thought of it this way, maybe you haven't. This apprenticeship of Jesus is also a lot like your medical residencies that many of you are in or have been through, where you are working with senior doctors trying to hone your craft, making mistakes and learning and becoming better and better and better in your practice, its formation, until eventually you go into your subspecialty and become a fellow and you work with, what are they called? Attendings, see, got it. And you work with an attending physician. If you have like a really good attending physician, like this is an opportunity for you to actually go and create a really beautiful and robust practice out in the world. What Jesus is inviting us into is become doctors of the heart. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. It's a real invitation into, hey, I want you to be like me. You were made to be like me. The world needs you to be like me. Will you come and follow me? Will you apprentice with me? Will you allow me to form and shape you? And so we've got this current that we live in, this, right, these three revolutions that shape and form us. And if we're not careful, if we just get up and go about our daily lives, they will malform us. We'll look in the mirror and go, wait, what am I doing with my life? This isn't who I want to be. I don't want to watch this much Netflix. <laughs> I don't want to reach for my phone the first thing every single morning for the next 20 years when I wake up. That's not who I want to be. And so if we want to work against the current, my suggestion is that we need to create rhythms that oppose the current. We need routines. 
that can help shape us. We need to enter into a rhythm of life that creates space to encounter God's transforming presence. And I want to be clear, because we can very easily go off into the deep end, and we can take these practices and these rhythms, and we can turn them into like this legalistic, well, you better be checking these boxes, and if you check these boxes, then you're a super Christian, and if you don't check these boxes, then you're not a super Christian. It is God who does the work in us. It is the Spirit of God who shapes and transforms and renews and beautifies and turns us into people of love. All I'm suggesting is that we create some space to enter into that God's presence. The reason that we read Leviticus to you this morning is I wanted to point out that, right, you likely, right, unless you're an expert in the Old Testament, you likely had never read many of those verses before. And if you had, you probably didn't remember most of them. And yet you see this pattern where God is ordering the year of Israel He says, Israel, here's what your year is going to look like. And on this week, you're going to do this. You're going to take seven days, and you're going to begin the seven days this way. And during the seven days, you're going to do this. And at the end of the seven days, you're going to rest. And here's why you're going to do it. And he repeats it. And we didn't even read the whole chapter. There was more. In the entire book, there's more. (laughs) But this was the warp and woof of Israel's identity. It wasn't meant to like, hey, if you do this, uh, then it will somehow save you and you'll go to heaven when you die. It wasn't meant to be like, hey, if you do this, then somehow you'll be better than everyone else around you. It was an anchor. It was a tethering. It was, hey, this is your lifeline in the midst of a people who don't live like this and don't worship like this and don't love like this. You're going to do this because it will help form and shape who and what you are. And in the midst of all that, you'll remember You'll remember me, and you'll remember who I've called you to be. But we resist rhythm, right? Creating space for spiritual life is hard. It's challenging. And for a lot of us, I know this is true of me a lot of times, what we end up doing is we're so busy and our calendars are so full that we try and take the spiritual life stuff and cram it into the nooks and crannies of whatever time we have. It's like a luxury, and it's the first thing to go. When we're tired, we get rid of the morning reading or the morning prayer. In the gym, uh, a client's success and failure was never determined by what they wanted. It was always determined by their showing up, their willingness to actually change their habits and routines. One of the hardest things uh, to help people with is to help them to understand, like, hey, we're not dieting here, right? We're not doing like this temporary thing so that you can get to some goal so that then you can go back to doing all the stuff you were doing before. This is different. What we're trying to invite you in is a sustainable way of life that leads you into healthy longevity. We never, like at least at our gym, it's shut down now, by the way, in case y'all think this is a commercial. It went really well for us. (laughs) People loved this. They were were like, dude, I just want to get into the bathing suit for spring break. Like, I don't know. You're talking about playing my grandkids. I'm not even married. Like, like our goal was always like, hey, look, I know you want to lose weight and that's fine. But what I want for you is I want you to have a healthy heart in 20 years. I want you to be able to get down on the floor and get back up when you have great, great grandchildren. And over time, the people that succeeded would make these small incremental changes that would begin to form and shape them. 
Even me and my wife became people who were not gym people to like we owned a gym. And over the span of several years, we were gym people, which if you'd known me before would have shocked you. You know me now, you're probably like, that's weird. You're a gym, you were a gym person. But it changed us. The rhythms, the routines, the habits formed us, shaped us. So the question is, are we willing to rearrange our lives to enter into what our hearts long for? I want to follow Jesus. I want to spend my time with Jesus. I want to be more patient than I am. I want to be more loving than I am. I want to be more compassionate than I am. Am I willing to rearrange my life to enter into that? If you're theologically astute, you're asking the right question of, wait, what about the Holy Spirit? Right, so these practices can very easily become like legalistic, rote, meaningless, empty, pharisaical, right, sort of thing. Um, Douglas Campbell's a New Testament theologian from New Zealand, and he's like just enough charismatic that makes my soul happy. I'm afraid of uh, charismaticism. I don't know, right word there. But I like to watch it from a distance, right? <laughs> Anyways, he, he does this, he's a professor at Duke, he does this really great explanation of what Paul's talking about when he talks about the spirit and the flesh. And we tend to think of this idea of, hey, I'm going to walk in the spirit or I'm going to walk in the flesh. And it's this binary, right? We live in a digital age, ones and zeros, on or off. So it is this great illustration that I would love to experience firsthand, but I've only read about, where in his lecture, he's talking about this. And he says, what if it's like this instead? And he turns up some sort of death metal. It's like Slipknot. And he turns it all the way up. He's like, Rah! actually, my voice right now is probably pretty good for it. He said, what do you hear, right? And they're like, I hear like this death metal. And he turns the volume down on the death metal and twists another knob. And all of a sudden you realize, I don't know, Handel's Messiah has been playing underneath it the entire time. And he brings the volume of Handel up and he brings the volume of Slipknot down and suddenly you hear the music that was there the entire time. You just couldn't hear it because it was being drowned out. He says, this is the work of the Spirit. It's always there. He's always working. He's always carrying you. He's always changing you. He's always making the world more beautiful. Will you slow down and listen? Will you turn the music down on the chaos around you and hear it? Enter into it? Ask for more of it? The kingdom of God is here and now, and the spirit of God is already at work. Are we willing to rearrange our lives to embrace it? Or maybe we could ask it this way. What would a life rearranged by the spirit look like? In your hub groups this week, this is the question I want to challenge you with. What would my week look like if I let the spirit rearrange it? Right? Uh, You're tempted to answer that in some sort of like, crazy hypothetical, well, I'd quit my job and sell all my possessions and I would move to whatever distant land. Okay, take that off the table. What would your current contextual life look like if the spirit rearranged it? What time would you wake up? What's the first thing you would do? How long would you do it for? What would your day look like? What would your evening look like? What would your Saturday look like? How can we begin to shape and pattern rhythms of life 
that draws towards and around communion. I think we've all experienced that this won't just happen, right? You've joined the gym. You're here. Congratulations. But if you want to love God and love your neighbor, there are ways that we can, like, accelerate that process. There are ways that we can participate in that. There are routines and rhythms that can help shape and foster that affection, that budding affection that we already have in our hearts. Jesus says it this way. In Matthew chapter 13, he tells a parable where he says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Rearranges his life because this mattered so much. He tells another parable in the next verse. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Right? And everything we do in our life, whether we are conscious of it or not, is this pursuit of something. This pursuit of, I need this, I want this. If I had this, I would be, right, dot, 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 fill in the blank, whatever it is. So this guy finds it. This is the thing I've been looking for. This is the thing that my heart has longed for. This is like why I exist. It's here. What does he do? He found one pearl of great value, went and sold everything that he had so that he could buy it. What if we rearranged our lives to pursue the thing that matters the most to us? Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I used to, so I used to race cars. Um, I have a fascinating life, y'all. I have like some strange stories I could tell y'all. Um, but this, this was the verse, on, like I put it on my race car. Um, if you want to talk about taking a Bible verse out of context, this is taking a Bible verse out of context. But Paul says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs? You're like never going to be able to read this ever the same way again. Like What? <laughs> but only one person gets the prize. Jesus only loves winners. That's, that's what we're walking away with today. So run to win. God, that's a sermon somewhere in real life, and it breaks my heart. Verse 25, all athletes are disciplined in their training, and they do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. Right? Think about the amount of time and effort. I don't know, Jordan Alvarez, because he's the goat right now. He walks up to the plate, and he follows the same routine over and over and over again. It's not a magic routine. He didn't wake up one day and say, you know what? I'm going to shimmy my hips, and I'm going to swing my bat like this, and I'm going to hit it, and oh, look, that worked. That's great. No, it was years of moving your elbow up a little bit higher and then swinging a little bit lower and getting the trajectory this way or that way or responding to the, the balls coming in right, high or low or whatever. I don't know baseball. But the discipline and the formation and the time and the effort and the energy and the thought that went into, I want to hit the ball this way, and so I need to move my body this way. That's exactly what Paul's describing here. They train their bodies so that they can win the prize. But don't we do it for an eternal prize? And this isn't about heaven. I know it sounds like it's heaven. It's not heaven. It's this idea of kingdom of God, like communion. We can actually experience divine love and share divine love like here and now. 
So I run with purpose in every step. And I'm not just shadow boxing, right? I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Right, at previous to this, he talks about how among the Jews, I become like a Jew. Among the Gentiles, I become like a Gentile. Among the, the, the poor, I become poor. This is someone who is giving their life away to be formed and transformed by Jesus. So, okay, how do we begin thinking about rearranging your rhythms? Um, we'll wrap this up with this. You know, like, dude, you said you're going short. Uh, so there, uh, we'll, we're going to do a whole series on this in the spring. So we'll take a break here in a little bit for Advent, and then we're going to go into another series at the beginning of the year. And then in the spring, probably around Lent, we'll, we'll go into a whole series on like how can we enter into and practice some of these rhythms. But some, some like really large, broad patterns, some things to begin thinking about right now. The first is solitude and community. And, right, depending on your personality, you're drawn to one of these or the other, and we need both. Jesus both spends a lot of time with people, and he also withdraws from people in order to spend time with the Father. We can follow that pattern. We don't ever only spend time alone, and we don't ever only spend time in community. We do both. I'm more of an introverted person. Community is hard for me. It can be draining for me. And so I try to purposely and intentionally enter community when I have the chance. And if I don't plan for it, if I just go about my day and do what I feel, I never do it. Number two is work and rest. There are times to work and there's time to rest. And like daily, we can set these rhythms. I'm going to shut off at this time or I'm going to work until this time or I'm going to start work at right Speaking and listening. One is like the practical, relational, like I need to know sometimes when to be quiet and when to listen. But also, like think about prayer. I tend to, shocker, I tend to be a person who talks a lot. Learning how to sit in silence in prayer was, is a challenge for me. It's one that I'm like working on. The next set here, we got six of these, by the way. Um, Number four is feasting and fasting, right? Last night, our city's feasting. You have permission to feast with them, to join our neighbors in celebrating. But there's also time to fast. There's time to draw back, to draw away, to, right, for various reasons, take a break from something like deleting Twitter. The fifth uh, is a little obscure, but time and space Think about it this way, sacred times, sacred spaces. What if you created a, a nook or cranny or desk or chair or spot in your home that was a sacred space that you met God at? So Christine's not here, so I'll brag on her for a little bit. Um, she, she was sharing this week how she goes into the chapel with all the lights off, and she sits, and she just sits in silence, and she just feels like there's something there. There's something sacred about it. And she's drawn back to it. Find those spaces. If you can't find one, get create one. Filled with memory of God meeting you and encountering you there. You can do that with times as well. Times on your calendar where you know I'm going to lament during this time because of this that's happened in the past. Or times that I'm going to celebrate because God has done this. 
And then last is reflection. I couldn't think of an opposite. Unreflective, don't be unreflective. It's frowned upon. Like introspective reflection as well as like thinking about what God has done. Um, one of the practices that I have tried to do in the past that I've gotten away from that I'm like, in, after preparing the sermon, I'm like, yeah, I should probably do this. Sitting down and journaling, just taking 15, 20 minutes and just writing out prayers to God or reminders of what God has done. This like small act of reflection really helps do something in me that I don't realize until I stray away from it. Okay, some real practical advice, and then I'll be quiet. Right, how do I do this? Where do I start? Uh, we're we're going to talk about it in your hub groups. There's also some books I can recommend. But first and foremost is remember this is the work of God. So be kind and patient. The, the act doesn't form you. It's the act that allows you to create the space for the God who forms you to meet you or for you to meet him. Our goal is to create rhythms that make us slow down and be quiet and sit still for a moment. And so think about like the realities of how that needs to look in your life. What structures do you need? Do you need a ton of structure? I need a ton of structure. Um, if y'all know Zach at all, him and I were a perfect duo because he's like, I hate structure, <laughs> right? So your personality here matters. Just because this is how I do it doesn't mean it's how you should do it. What feeds your soul and nourishes you and gives life to you is the goal. That's the point. But then also like, I don't know, do you have kids? Do you have roommates? Do you have siblings? Like what are some of the practical things that you need to think about? Um, I'm going to start a quiet time at 10 a.m. in the living room when everyone else is like trying to get ready for work. That's probably not a great idea. Be free. Don't let this become a burden and imprison you. And reevaluate when you need to. If this is like completely foreign to you and you're like, dude, I'm just trying to pray. Start with just, here's my thing. For, for this week, I'm going to take five minutes at the beginning of the morning when I wake up. I'm going to set a clock on my phone or a stopwatch if you're like anti-phone. And just for five minutes, I'm just going to sit here and try and pray. And maybe I'm successful. Maybe I'm not. Who cares? God doesn't. I'm just going to sit for five minutes every day for the next seven days. And then after a little while, you could add on to that. Um, I'm going to wrap this up with a quote from Thomas Merton. He was like one of these, he was like a monk who it was like an expert on monks <laughs> in the, the contemplative life. And he said this, this was a journal when he was spending some time in solitude and thinking about like, what do I want my life to be? How do I want to shape it? And he said, ask me not where I live or what I like to eat, right? Because none of that matters. Ask me instead what I'm living for and what I think is keeping me from living fully for that. All right, let's pray. Jesus, you are gracious and kind and loving. And you have given us your spirit that is inviting us into that love to experience it, to receive it, but also to participate in it to enjoy it. Will you give us an imagination for what it might look like for us to create new rhythms and routines in our life, even small little ones that can help us enter into your transforming love, that can help set our hearts on fire, that can help us encounter your spirit that's already at work. 
Jesus, will you be with us in this? Will you allow us to be as merciful with ourselves as you are with us when we fail at this? And will you allow us to cling to the fact that you're carrying us regardless of what we do? You have assured us that you've begun a good work in us and that you will see it to the end. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We're ready to worship you. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, get coffee with a pastor or visit us on a Sunday, then go to redemptionhou.com. And please know today that you are fully loved and fully accepted just the way you are. We hope to hear from you soon.